I have always loved hiking, whether it's a level path along a meandering stream or an arduous climb up a high mountain. I like them all. One thing that's great about hiking up to a summit, of course, is the great reward that's waiting for you at the top. And if it's a new hike, it's especially magnificent because there's a great transformation that happens. When you start, you have maybe some vague sense of what the surrounding area looks like. But when you get to the top, you get a clear, stunning panorama of what it really looks like. Perhaps that's one reason that the great moments of revelation in the Bible so often happen on mountaintops. In one of those mountaintop experiences, Jesus taught us to pray, thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. We're all familiar with these words, but I wonder if you've ever thought about what they actually mean. To speak of God's kingdom is to speak of the rule of God, to affirm that there is a domain in which the rule or will of God is accomplished. This kingdom, which has drawn near in Jesus, is growing all the time, from its small beginnings in each of our own lives and through them to the larger world. But it's often easy to miss its growth. Its activity is veiled, it's hidden from view. But this activity, the activity of this kingdom, is the real meaning of history. And a big part of the Christian life is learning to see this hidden realm and to participate in it. The Transfiguration story is about another mountaintop experience, a lifting of the veil. It tells us something about Jesus and the kingdom he brings, and it tells us also something about his subjects, those who by their lives swear allegiance to their king. First, Jesus. There's a whole lot going on in this passage, the mountaintop setting, the significance of Moses and Elijah, the glory cloud, the movement from promise to fulfillment, from shadow to reality, and all of these point to the fulfillment of ancient hopes, when God would one day send his chosen king to rescue his people from oppression and establish his peaceable kingdom on earth as in heaven. But one of the most surprising aspects of this passage is the connection between Jesus' death and his glory. And since this is Valentine's Day, I thought we'd talk about death. <laughs> Remember, this takes place just after Jesus speaks of the necessity of his death and calls his disciples to take up their cross and follow. Now up on the mountain, the veil is pulled back and Peter, James, and John see the messianic king as he truly is in dazzling glory. And what is he doing? He's talking with Moses and Elijah. And Luke tells us what they're speaking about, his exodus, which he was about to accomplish in Jerusalem. Now, Jesus's death does not look like a good thing from a worldly perspective. It looks like the end of the path. But when the veil is pulled back, we see that Jesus's death is a glorious new beginning. It's a new exodus for God's people, one that will lead them from the bondage of sin into the promised land of freedom and peace, into the presence of the kingdom among us. But the way to the promised land is through the desolate valley, 
and it turns out that the way of the cross is the way of life and peace. And this is hard for us to accept. When Jesus speaks of the call to deny ourselves, to take up our cross and follow, we may be tempted like Peter to take Jesus aside and say, no, Lord, not self-denial. There must be some other way. This is not what it looks like from the bottom of the mountain. It's at this point when Jesus' disciples' preconceived notions of the Messiah and what he's calling his followers to do were being challenged that God reassures them with a glimpse of the view from the mountaintop. And with this declaration, this is my son, the beloved. Listen to him. This is what the kingdom of God looks like. Now eventually, we all go back down the mountain and it will be harder to see the view from the mountaintop. But these glimpses of glory equip us for trusting God when we cannot see. The story of the transfiguration tells us a lot about Jesus and the kingdom of which he is the king, but it also tells us something about us. One of the important things to realize about this story is that the transformation that happens is not a change in Jesus's nature, but rather a visible change in his appearance so that it accords with his nature. And it's for the sake of the disciples, it's for the sake of us. In other words, his, this glorious Jesus that we see on the mountaintop, that's his true nature, how he has always been and always will be. This is how we should always try to see his kingdom, though its glory is normally hidden under the veil. Well, during this mountaintop experience, this almost too holy to touch experience, Peter, of course, feels compelled to say something. So he says the only thing that comes to mind, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three dwellings, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Now, people often laugh at this because it sounds like Peter is grasping at straws. After all, it says he didn't know what to say. But I think he was right to say it at least the first part, for it was good for them to be there, not to engage in some tent-making project, but to reorient their thinking about Jesus, to see him as he truly is, the dwelling place of God with humans, the place where heaven and earth meet, and then to strengthen their resolve to follow him in the way of the cross. For Jesus is giving us not only a glimpse into his nature, but as the second Adam and perfect image of God, he is also giving us a picture of humanity's vocation, a vocation that goes all the way back to the beginning of the Bible, where humans are made in God's image to reflect his glory out into the world and gather up the praises of creation and reflect them back to God. A little while ago, I woke up to a bird singing outside my window and I don't know my bird calls well enough to tell whether it was a finch or a wren or something else altogether. It was a beautiful song, though at the time I must confess I was tempted to plug my ears and go back to sleep. But then I realized that this bird was doing by nature what I must do by choice, to sing the praises of our common God and maker. And so I rolled out of bed and repeated the familiar words of the morning prayer liturgy while the bird sang along. Lord, open our lips, and our mouth shall proclaim your praise. It is good for us to go up to the mountaintop and catch a glimpse of the glory of the kingdom unveiled. 
and as we prepare for the season of Lent, we might ask ourselves where God is calling us to, in, to go up the mountain and take a view from the top, where he is calling us to engage in kingdom work, to live into our vocation as Christians, to listen to the voice of him who calls us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Let us pray. O Lord, our God, fix our eyes, we pray, on the view from the mountaintop, on the glory of our King and his kingdom, alive and active in our midst, though often hidden from view. And then give us the grace to show forth in our lives what we pray each day, that thy kingdom come on earth as in heaven. For we have seen in Jesus what we confess with our lips, that thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever.